Hi there and welcome to The Brave, a podcast all about resilience and essentially dealing with the future and making sure that we're all in a position to be adaptable and robust in the face of what's coming, which is very fast moving. It's very different from what's come before. It's heavily reliant on technology and the changes happening in that space. But it's also about making sure we take care of ourselves as human beings as well and not losing sight of the kind of basics and the natural world that give us meaning and relieve stress and things like that. So yeah, it's a pretty big topic, but we explore this through having essentially chats with really interesting people about different kind of themes or different kind of narrow vertical niches. And this week we're thinking about the future of work. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to kind of coin this term or think about this, but I've become really aware of what I would deem employee influencers. And these are people who they're not kind of out on their own. They're not freelancers. They're not kind of running their own businesses, but they are people who work for an employer. You know, they're very linked to a brand and they essentially have massive social media presences and they comment on a wide range of issues and people take notice. And this is very distinctly different or or kind of separate from the presence of the brand itself that they work for. And this is a really interesting phenomenon that I think has been great gaining a lot of ground in recent kind of years, especially obviously with Twitter, which is, yeah, it's pretty old social media platform. We've also got things like Clubhouse now, we've got TikTok, we've got all of the new social media platforms. And to talk about this, I wanted to bring on board Stephen Kemright. Now, Stephen is co-founder of Rise at Seven, which if you're in the kind of digital agency world, they are the people everyone wants to be at the moment. They are the digital agency, especially in terms of the SEO and digital PR world. They are the agency everyone is looking at and being like, oh my gosh, they are killing it. They have gone in a year from, you know, zero revenue to millions. They work with brands like Pretty Little Thing. It is a success story. And part of the reason they've been so successful is, I think, and Stephen will kind of tell us a little bit more about this, but because their employees are influencers, they have massive social media followings. And you can see them on Twitter, you know, they talk about, they do tweet threads diving into how they delivered a certain campaign for a client and what the results are. And then they also get involved in kind of wider societal issues as well and comment on that. But I wanted to talk to Stephen about this, kind of how they've leveraged this to build the business, you know, some of the pitfalls maybe of this. And also, you know, are we all going to have to become employee influencers? Is that the future of work? But anyway, I will let Stephen take it away. We will dive into things. I really hope you enjoy it. I found this fascinating, really fascinating, actually. So I have been working I suppose for like 10 years now um I have gone through a range of jobs but most most of my background is agency side I was at one agency uh for about seven years and then I kind of cycled through a few things pretty rapidly and then started Rise at Seven along with my my co-founder Carrie Rose back in June 2019 so um yeah two of us in a creative SEO agency or a a search focused creative agency as we are now probably 18 months ago and now there are 58 uh, across two cities soon to be three countries in the next three months I think so uh, yeah growing really rapidly which is nice at the moment definitely. Yeah because that's really what caught my attention you guys are all over social you know when I go on Twitter 
you're always doing kind of interesting commentary on the industry or you're announcing a new client win and you've just created this amazing buzz around yourselves as individuals and as a company. And I really wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about kind of the future of careers, the future of kind of self-promotion and also the future of building businesses. Because to me, it feels like employees are almost becoming influencers in their own right. You know, you've got people who work for some of the, like, the biggest brands in the world, Apple, Google, Microsoft, and you know them by name, not necessarily even the brand they work for. And this is a strategy you seem to have leveraged at Rise immensely successfully. So I'd really like to firstly dig into kind of what was the decision to build the brand on your own so personal social media because that's really where you started out that's where I started kind of seeing what you were working on yeah I think it, it goes back uh it goes back as far as brand of three so the agency that me and Carrie first met at I told me a few people I should be following on Twitter to get more info on what was effectively for me a brand new discipline at the time and two of those people were Patrick Altoft and Tim Grice Patrick being one of the founders of brand of three and Tim being head of SEO at the time uh, so I was following them on Twitter, saw someone tweet a job ad uh, and applied and, and kind of moved across back in 2012. And what became really clear really quickly is Brand3 never had a sales team, certainly not at the time. It wasn't something that they did. All of the new business came from the influencer type activity. It was the personal profiles of Tim and Patrick more than anyone else. And then Brand3 sold, is acquired by St. Ives PLC after I'd been there for about nine months. Um, and then suddenly there was this kind of, I, I don't know if you call it a succession planning, but this big switch that went off in the minds of the senior team, which is, well, Patrick is going to retire really soon. And we don't have anyone else with this profile apart from Tim who can't do it all by himself. And there were a few people, there was me, Laura Crimmins would be another person in that category as well, who whether we spotted it by accident, whether it was planted in our minds by Tim and Patrick, I don't know, but it was literally just that, well, this is how we do things. So if you want to progress here, this is, this is what you need to do too. So we literally just reverse engineered what they were doing, started speaking at conferences, started tweeting, started writing blog posts and, and, you know, certainly prioritize that as well. Um, you know, switching more and more away from, doing client work all day towards doing work on the business and doing that kind of influential type activity. And that's really how we progressed so quickly. I was a director of the business in three years and it was probably because of I was building that profile and I proved through doing that, that I could replace Patrick's new business engine that he had uh, by, by, you know, doing the same things myself. So that was kind of the background for Branded 3. And then, you know, when Rise at 7 came about, it's a brand new agency. Day one, there is no agency brand. There is no company. So you've got to leverage what you've got. And me and Carrie both had um, somewhat of a profile um, across across LinkedIn and, and Twitter particularly. So you, you have to do that. Um, and through you know knowing people through Twitter as well, people like Mark Rove came on board pretty early on with quite a profile behind him too. And we really have you know prioritised people who've got that kind of side hustle mentality, that that um, desire to put themselves out there. So we've got people like you know Umra in our our, our um, PR team. Uh, she has fifty thousand Instagram followers, and one of them's Drake. Uh, we have uh, you know we've had Lucy in our in our uh, PR team who's had. 150,000 TikTok followers. So people who kind of put themselves out there, um, that's a wonderful way for us to get noticed because it shows that 
they're going to do the things that we do. They're going to carry on the legacy that we're that we're building and, and put themselves out there, basically. Yeah, that's such an enlightened attitude towards it, I think, because you hear kind of stories of more in the fashion world, but where brands are like, um, if you've got a social media account and let's say we're a certain brand, you can't promote our competitors' clothes. You can't even wear them. Like we own your social media. You're dictated by us. And there's that mentality. And then there's people who are kind of like, well, you shouldn't have a social profile that isn't completely, absolutely professional, like LinkedIn boring. And if you're doing anything, like Mark is an amazing example. You know, his if, if none of the listeners know, look up Mark Rove, look up his billboard. You know, that wasn't necessarily linked to the business, but it should it must have got you some pretty good exposure at the time. Yeah, definitely. And Mark has done many things like that to the point where when he left Rise at Seven to start a business selling Christmas trees, everyone thought it was just one of our things. Uh, so that, that's kind of, I think that's the point, right? It's It feels consistent. It feels authentic to the type of brand that we are and that we're building. It's It doesn't feel out of place for someone to be tweeting that stuff or sharing that stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, do you think this is a phenomenon we're going to see more widespread, even outside of the kind of tech creative industries where there, you know, you can really see the alignment between yourselves and having a social profile because kind of generating press and PR is what you do. But do you think we'll see that expand into people's who or industries whose roles aren't necessarily kind of marketing led or tech led? I think so. Um, you, you hit on something now where it's like industries or businesses that aren't necessarily marketing led. And I think that's where there is a little bit of a, a gray area around this. So I think of businesses who do have a, a real focus on marketing, like we work with a lot of retail brands, for example. And what's really clear for a, 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 where a lot of retail brands sit in the moment is it's cheaper for influencers to create content for them than it is for their marketing team to do it. And if one of those people happens to work for you, that's a good thing because they have access to a following, sure, but more than a following, they have the desire and capability to create content that otherwise they will be paying an agency a bunch of money for, or they will be paying their team a bunch of money for. So as long as the brand is the type of company that understands the value of content, I can see this going much, much further. But then there are plenty of brands out there that do not believe that content is is a way for them to generate business. Uh, and, you know, in some cases that that's potentially true uh, or it certainly, you know, isn't going to be the massive driver for them that it is for B2C retail brands as an example. So I think I think it's it's going to take a while to catch on for some brands to see the benefit of it, definitely. But I, I, I can't see it going any other way for, you know, um, B2B uh, SaaS agency type companies. That's already a thing, definitely. And then when we're getting to more B2C realms, I mean, influencers are, are massive and getting bigger. And actually, if those people are on the books, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's really interesting. But I can hear the kind of marketing PR part of my head going, but oh my God, what if they post something that's like super controversial and damages the brand? Do do you have any way of kind of managing that? Uh, Is it kind of like a verbal expectation with employees? Or I guess you just trust them to kind of do the right thing and say the right thing. Uh, we, we do. Um, there are certainly people at Rise at 7 right now who say things that we wouldn't say from our company accounts, right? So that's that's fairly common. Um, I think it kind of comes down to a little bit of foresight. So if you look at like um, industry code of practice or, or, or basically the law, employment law generally, and you talk about things like bringing the company into disrepute, um, that's 
that's obviously a big problem. But the foresight that you require for that is really to say, okay, so disrepute means damaging the reputation of the company. So what is the reputation of the company? What what are the types of things that we would be comfortable to say or not say um, and set that expectation early? So things for Rise at Seven that are a problem are politics, as an example. Um, and what we don't do is stop people talking about politics because it's their account, it's their property, it's their personality, it is literally their brand. They can do that, but we just ask for the bare minimum of, you know, views are my own and not my company's. Um, that, that's fine. You know, that, that doesn't necessarily uh, cause us problems. I mean, there are certainly, you know, hard lines in some areas where um, we couldn't physically tolerate um, people being racist, homophobic, sexist, etc., because that does bring the company into disrepute because that is not what we stand for. But we do stand for people being able to, you know, express themselves. And, and the way that the agency really kind of throws itself behind that is instead of trying to police what is and isn't, we say what matters to our people, which we ask them privately, and then we throw our weight behind them pushing that forwards rather than being the, the brand in and of itself that say we stand for this thing. Yeah, that's a really nice way of turning it on its heads. And I guess, so one question I really wanted to ask is, I think there'll be some people listening to this who are very new to show social, and they might have a Twitter account where they post pictures of their cats, dogs, like low level, and they're thinking, oh, this would be a great strategy for promoting myself as a freelancer or the business I work for or my agency. How would you advise they get started? Because it can feel very daunting kind of putting your professional face on a personal space. I know what you mean. Yeah. I think that firstly, you have to be square with the fact that it's not always a nice place. So um, I, I think the idea is that, you know, the way that a business would have promoted itself previously would be advertising where they pay, you know, a, a TV network or a, a newspaper or even Google or Facebook or something like that for exposure. When you're on social media, you're not paying for that exposure with cash. You're paying for that sometimes with little bits of your soul where you're getting, hey, you're getting people talking to you in a way that you don't really like, but you put your opinion out there and you have to be okay with that. Uh, You've got to bear in your mind always that you are effectively growing yourself a future that isn't costing you money. You are going, you know, you've got to think long-term basically. Um, And I think that's true just in terms of growth of a a social account or or, um, a personal profile as well. It doesn't happen overnight. It's certainly something that regardless of who you are or what, how good your opinions are or how much insight you have that other people don't have, you don't catch fire overnight. It's a long slog and it's something, you know, especially, you know, speaking to uh, employers who are interested in having employees doing this kind of thing, it is, it is not a quick fix at all. It's something that requires time, probably outside of work, fairly consistently it's not enough to say if you're interested in doing this can you raise your hand you've got to really get behind people keep encouraging them and and and, and push because it's a slog it really is yeah I definitely agree with that I mean I'm not exactly twitter famous in any way but it yeah it's been years and years of kind of effort but the reward is really there I always think of it as optionality you know someone just might stumble across something you've said someone kind of influential who then picks up on it and you have a really good conversation and I think it's it's good not to just be passive as well I've learned that recently you've got to get involved in the conversations you can't just sit there waiting around for someone to pick up on your tweets and notice you 
Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. And I think that's, that's not, that's not even just Twitter, that's LinkedIn and everything else. And I mean, we have built our agency, we've built the nearly the entire pipeline of new business that we've had from, from day one on, on our personal social accounts. And I think that optionality thing is a, is a nice way of thinking about it because you, you've got to be there right place, right time, which means that you have to be there always. So you, you've got to post constantly. And that, that can be, you know, pretty draining in terms of thinking of new things to say. So you've got to want it. You've got to, you've got to be keen to actually do that. Yeah, and it's really interesting the comment you made about doing it after work. Is there anything you think employers could do to encourage this more? Because I just it's such a wonderful strategy. I think more and more people should be doing it. But I guess you can't force employees and you shouldn't be forcing employees. So is there anything you could be doing to encourage it? Giving time or training you've talked about? I think training generally, I think there's there's a bunch of stuff that you can do that helps people to understand what resonates and what doesn't. But they've got to try it first. So it's not something, I, I think the the real advice I would give to employers who are interested in this is don't look for someone that's got nothing. You look for someone who's shown some willing and is, is at least attempting it. Because I think, you know, in terms of encouraging people, you've got to reward the behaviours rather than rewarding the results, right? So you get a lead via social media, of course, great, bonus or whatever it is. But you have people who are showing that they're willing to try. You've got to be encouraging. You've got to you know, notice. So some of the things that we do, for example, I have a Twitter list of every single person that works at the company, which I check at least a couple of times a day. I favorite everything. I talk to people about things that they posted. I retweet things from people, regardless of whether they're new at the business and they've only got, you know, 20 followers, which which certainly happens. People start new accounts when they, when they start here sometimes. Uh, But I make sure I'm, I'm keeping up with what they're saying and I'm sharing that. And it's, it's, it becomes one of the easiest places to actually have a conversation with me because we're all remote right now. No one can grab me in the office for two minutes. Um, they know that I'm chatting to them on, on social media and I'm, I'm actively as an employer searching them out and, and, and making sure that I'm commenting and sharing and, and introducing the, them to people that I know that I think they should know too. Yeah, leading by example is always the best way, I think, to encourage the behaviours you want. So that's awesome. And thinking more towards the future now. So let's say, you know, this does become the norm. It's becoming more widespread. Do you think employers will be selecting people? Well, is there a danger that employers are going to be selecting people based on the number of followers they have, not their kind of skills or, you know, other attributes, education, for example? I think um, the the, the interesting thing there that you said is danger because I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. I don't think it's a number of followers thing. And I don't think that any marketing department at this point that's really experiencing growth and doing a good job is looking at follower numbers for influencer marketing of any sort. So I don't think I don't think it's a danger. I, I would say that we are potentially more interested in what people are saying on social media than their education actively. That is a thing now. Uh, I couldn't tell you where a bunch of our people went to university or if they even did. Um, And I think like going back to my previous agency, my entire SEO team, a bunch of very technical people had not a marketing degree between them. We have people who've gone straight from uni into into the agency even. uh, And I don't think that that's necessarily something that um, I've ever looked at, but it's not necessarily about followers. It's not about, um, you know, the, the influence that they already have. It's more a case of what are they saying? Who are they interested? Who are they following? 
you know, the questions I ask in an interview usually are, what do you read? And that's a really open-ended question. I get answers like Harry Potter, but I also get answers like I read, you know, Bill Slavsky and I read uh, AJ Cohn and, and this, these kind of tech SEO people. So I'm really interested in knowing what do they retweet? Who are they commenting to when they're on, on Twitter? That is such a, uh, that's the next layer of a CV. It's not going to stop them getting an interview, but it really does give me an understanding of who they are as a person and what they're interested in and what their thought process might look like. Yeah, it's almost like it's the democratizer in a way. It kind of doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter, you know, what experience you've had in the past with the chicken and egg of you need an internship to get an internship. It's almost you get to see a bit of people's kind of raw talent and thinking process often on social, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. So what I do want to ask is I think there can be a tension sometimes between your own personal brand and a company's brand and the company you work for's brand. And do you have any advice on kind of managing that? Because sometimes you kind of feel like, oh, I'm talking a bit too much about me. So let's say Beth and the individual are not enough about my employer, or I'm talking too much about my employer and it's becoming all about them and it's there's none of me coming through. Do you have any advice on managing that tension? Uh, I think, firstly, you've got to, again, I think it comes down again to future focus. So um, we have always made a conscious decision that, our personal accounts are what drives the business forwards and the company account is there to, it's kind of there to look good, but it doesn't have to engage people in the same way. Our Instagram is kind of that employer brand, but just a visual window into the kind of work we do. Do I care if everything that we post gets loads of likes? Not at all. That's not really what it's there for. So the company could talk about the company, but I think that any, any walk of life, any kind of business, people by people. And the more people that you know at an organization, the more generally speaking, or, or at least like an organization, the more likely you are to do business with that kind of company. So um, I, I'd, I'd like think of a, an example with, uh, with Rise at Seven, right? So when we were first starting out, um, we were really fortunate to be able to talk to Misguided after a month. Um, and that's that's a position that a lot of agencies never get to. And, you know, I don't think Branded 3 ever pitched for Misguided. But um, within a month, we had a meeting with Misguided. We're talking about the team. It's a brand new team. People have only been, you know, employed by us for a couple, a month or a couple of months by this point. And we've got a, a slide up there um, where we're talking to a bunch of people from all kinds of backgrounds. So we've got merchandisers, we've got head of SEO, we've got um, marketers of different uh, different backgrounds, social media team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so we're showing the team that's that's going to be working on the account. And there are two people on there. So there's Thea Chippendale, our, our PR exec, uh, and Mark Rove. And what happened in that moment was the pretty much all of the misguided merchandising team said, is that the ASOS girl when Thea came up at the same time that Sam, head of SEO at Misguided, said, is that Mark Rofe? That moment of, you know, our entire team, we don't have to pitch ourselves to you. We don't have to explain who we are and try and, you know, win you over that we know something about fashion or that we know something about SEO because you've just seen people that you already have that connection with, or at least you know about them and you know their background and you know uh, what they can potentially bring to your life as a marketer as well. Um, instantly. 
and, and that's not the slide that's the background that's the that's the social media um profile and the story behind it that makes that massive difference so um in that moment we've again brand new agency we kind of are doing a reasonable job at this point i think of articulating what we're about but the only way we do that is by being consistent with a, a shared vision between the people that we've got yeah that's almost the, the other way around or how you would traditionally look at your business from a marketing perspective where you'd be like these are our values this is our vision and then everyone has to follow this and it's more i guess organic starting from the end which is the people which is the part that interfaces with other people which is what you care about so yeah that that's a really exciting story I think for lots of people to hear because it just shows how powerful this can be yeah definitely I think you 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 bang on when you're talking about where where people mostly start a brand weirdly is limitations that's what it's about it's not about what what you say as a company it's about all the things that you don't say is being focused in on a certain thing and that works when you've got this following you've got the audience you've got the people who are already buy things from you etc um you're able to focus that attention and then you use that to be consistent and that helps you to scale right that that helps you to make sure that you've got limited resources so you're only creating content that matches with the vision that you've got now if you if you don't have an audience if you don't have customers etc then imposing limitations on the people that you've got is only going to slow down getting to that point so i think you know your, your previous question about how do you balance the tension between what people are saying about the company and what the company is saying about the company well no one cares what the company says about the company until people have said something about the company you've got to build it first there's no point imposing limitations on what you can say if there's nobody listening at that point so you need to leverage what you've got which is people if you're an agency especially you've only got people yeah, I think that's the soundbite of the episode there, really, isn't it? That's that's a really great way of thinking about it. And one final question. So looking towards the future, um, obviously, we've got a couple of major social platforms at the moment. We know the big players, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Are there any on the horizon? I'm thinking of the clubhouses, maybe TikTok. You might think that's established, though, <laughs> um, that you're kind of looking at and you're thinking, OK, this is where we need to be. Um, I think... All of these platforms are interesting, um, but I think you also have to bear in mind who is on them at the moment. And TikTok is, is only just got to that point where normal people are there. And so you've got this kind of cycle where this clubhouse is a great example where um, there are the early adopters of people who are just you know, desperate for the first, for the, to be the first on the new thing. They aren't going to be your audience most of the time, unless you're also a tech platform. Then you've got the second audience that kind of, uh, I can't remember the term on the bell curve, but, you know, marketers probably fall into that category of this might be a thing. I'm going to jump on there while the game's good. Um, and, you know, we're at that point now with TikTok as an example, where marketers have got on it and think, I know that I can do something with this. And now the the rest of the population have got on it, but marketers haven't quite ruined it yet. So it's okay. Um, so TikTok is a really interesting platform at the moment. And I think that there is uh, a lack, relatively speaking, of content around the type of thing that we do as a business, for example. So there is a big opportunity there. But uh, I, I kind of think about it in the same way as I think about PR, which is, do you want to be the uh, the SEO agency that is competing with all the other advertising marketing SEO agencies in the pages of campaign magazine or do you want to be the one marketing agency that you read about in Cosmo 
well, that's that's an interesting that's an mm. interesting interruption to people compared to just okay, add add add. Don't know who they are. Flip past, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I think that's where TikTok is at the moment. Clubhouse. I hear about it from marketers, and I feel that that's the same way I felt about Google Plus, which is marketers are interested in it, but people people aren't yet. You've got the early adopters. You've got the you know the tech publications have talked about it. Marketers have jumped on it, but we don't yet have this um, real buyers uh, circle of people that are on that platform yet. Um, so I think there's there's no bad reason to there's no there's no reason not to sign up and have a look, definitely. Um, but I think it's going to be a few years before you can really gain a lot from being on there. Yeah, that's a really interesting view. I, I would generally agree. The only other people I've seen using it are property investors, randomly. <laughs> so who knows? If that's your niche, then uh, maybe you should uh, go for it on Clubhouse. But thank you so much, Stephen. That was extremely insightful. And I've scribbled loads of notes uh, to take away for myself from that. But um, do you just want to end by, I'm sure a lot of listeners know you, know Rise at Seven already, but where can we find out more? I would say the best place to find more about Rise at Seven is our Twitter account. Um, that's where we share everything and retweet everyone in the business. So that's at Rise at Seven. Perfect. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. Very welcome. Thank you, Bethan. Thanks so much this evening for coming on the show. As always, all of the links will be down in the description box on the podcast player of your choice. You can go and check out everything on there. If you want to find out more about The Brave, we are online, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we are on Instagram at The Brave Listen. You can find us there. If you want to find out a bit more about me, Bethan, my work, um, that's really weird to talk about yourself like that in the kind of third person, but anyway. (laughs) If you want to find out more about me, I'm on social media, I talk about things on there. I'm at Beth and Vincent and on various other platforms as well. You can email me if you want to get into a discussion with me. Always happy to hear from people at hello at bethandvincent.com. And finally, The Brave also has a newsletter on Substack. Aren't we cool and with it? Like everyone else, we are on Substack and we produce kind of a um, fortnightly newsletter that dives into a lot of the topics we discuss here on the show in a bit more detail in an essay format. I also throw in a load of really interesting links from around the internet that I have found upon my digital travels. But until next time, I hope you stay safe. That seems to be the thing we're saying to people at the moment, so I'm going to roll with that. But I hope you have a really good week and I will speak to you soon. Mm -hmm.